And what does it mean? Like, is it the like 007 suave, like right. womanizer? Or is it the John Wayne cowboy? Or is it the like workman who can right. like, you know, drink a beer and watch NASCAR and yeah. fix up his car? Right. Then, but you look throughout history and like men have also like written Handel's Messiah, like yeah. Romeo yeah. and Juliet. Yeah. And in our culture, we've kind of lost touch with some of those things. So if you enjoy art or reading right. or, or symphonies, then it's actually like so a place of shame. And similar with women. It is yeah, yeah, you can be ostracized. And mm. women, like, I think in many ways, those cultural stereotypes are so much worse. Like, mm. are you supposed to have be a, a person who has it all together and a businesswoman who, like, has a little bit of makeup but not too much, mm. but, like, also makes sure your kids are always ready for school on time and everything is taken care of at the home, but then... Uh, are you supposed to be like an outdoorsy woman with like no makeup granola? Are you supposed to be just a stay at home mom who like make sure her husband has a sack lunch? Like there's just so many paradigms and expectations and we can feel like if we don't fit into those that we just have no place or we feel less than or end up like being enslaved to these stereotypes. Welcome to the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast. Every preacher knows when they're teetering on the edge of a topic that will result in receiving a phone call on Monday morning. Instead of backing away, this podcast exists to work through these polarizing ideas and spark conversation. This season, we're learning what it means to pull apart Christian beliefs and examine your faith in a process called deconstruction. We'll cover the most questioned topics within Christianity in hopes that it will help all of us better understand what we believe. All right. Well, we are on episode five of this deconstruction series. Hi, Alyssa and Larry. Thanks for coming back. Uh, Today we are talking about uh, patriarchy, which should be um, a pretty interesting conversation. It might feel a little heavier at points. Mm -hmm. Hopefully we can bring some lighthearted pieces to this as well. But um, yeah, when we start talking about patriarchy, I think it's important to start with a a definition Mm -hmm. of it. So I'll maybe give that and then uh, would love your reactions to that definition of patriarchy. So broadest definition when I looked it up on the internets on on Google is uh, patriarchy is a system of society or institutions in which men hold power um, and women are excluded from power, influence, and decision-making. So that's kind of the broadest um, kind of term definition as we jump into this. Any initial reactions to that kind of definition, things that are maybe missing, things we need to add? Yeah, Um, I would say that I definitely agree that patriarchy is hierarchical, Hmm. and I think because of that, um, men are on top, but I would even say there are fewer and fewer men as you go up top. So not every man gets to be at the top Mm, either. Um, So I think there's some tension in that that um, we don't always talk about, but we will talk about today. Yeah, that's Mm. good. Anything you'd add later? Uh, I just want to say hi, Alyssa. (laughs) Hi, Paul. It's great to be here. Uh, Yeah, the word that jumped out to me in that definition is power. Yeah. And I think this is a discussion truly about power, both from the sense of um, using power uh, holding power, and then what the gospel calls us to do with power, yeah. and how that's so much put in tension, yeah. um, and especially between men and women. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we're jumping ahead there. No, bit, I think that's perfect. I think that's that, really that word power really jumps yep. out at me. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's important to say that we will primarily be talking about this from a, a church perspective, Christian perspective, mm-hmm. and, and how this relates to the church, but yeah. it is not just a church problem, although there yeah. are a lot of problems with it in the church. It's a cultural at large problem, and over the last number 
number of years, we've seen things like the Me Too movement and um, conversations about equal pay for women and all of those kind of things. I, at the end of the day, lead back to, to patriarchal systems that, that are elevating and, and um, oppressing women and, and men in different ways. And so um, I think as we start the conversation specifically about the church, I think it's important to say uh, we're not necessarily going to get into uh, kind of two theologies of the conversation. Oftentimes when this conversation comes up, you have the egalitarian side, um, which speaks a little bit more towards women empowerment. And then you have the complementarian side, how men and women are complementary to one another. We're going to kind of leave those those definitions and terms aside and stick really with this idea of patriarchy because within the last few years there's been a growing movement in the church that that has actually set aside both of those and elevated the conversation to say no actually there's a number of people who are saying patriarchy is the biblical model one uh, person that comes to mind I actually won't name him but this is (laughs) just an example of how he talked about um, I think that really captures this idea of, of patriarchy um, going beyond the traditional kind of categories of how men and women relate in the church. But he says, God has staked everything on men. Strong men are the foundation of a strong marriage. Strong men are the foundation of a strong home. Strong men are the foundation of a strong church. Strong men are the foundation of a strong society. God has staked everything on men and without trying to straw man him um (laughs) no pun intended um what you see in that kind of definition of how god is relating to the world is that all of those places that are reserved for jesus um have been given to men and that's kind of my initial reaction to that is that um yeah when you think of strong church it's actually not about men it's about jesus and so i don't know if you guys have reactions to that i think that kind of maybe summarizes a little bit of this idea of patriarchy my my question what do you think he means by a strong man (laughs) totally yeah how do you think that he would define that actually absolutely is it 007 was it (laughs) (laughs) suave like that yeah i don't is the masculine john wayne yeah yeah i don't know do you have thoughts no i don't well i have thoughts but you know uh, i would just be curious to ask him Mm -hmm. that what What's he implying? I know in a lot of places he's implied that men today are weak because they don't lead their families the way that they're supposed to. They don't lead in places they're supposed to. So it often comes down to leadership Mm -hmm. and what you spoke to earlier is is how they wield power. Right. And that in his definition, men have kind of given up or abdicated that responsibility, and so Mm -hmm. they're they're weak for doing so. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can see how... Hierarchy, power, really is is foundational with a lot of this conversation. Any initial reactions for you, Alyssa? Yeah. Um, as a woman, I mean, I hear that and I say, well, there's there's no space for me. Yeah, like, I don't, do do? I don't need to be here. Because mm-hmm. um, clearly, if everything is male-centric, um, then God created me as a second-class citizen. I'm just someone to make babies for the strong man. Hopefully I make another strong man so that he can have a family. <laughs> um, that that really simplifies who I am to um, not the baby maker, yeah. I guess, right? I mean, there's no, uh, there's no space. Uh, there's no role for you in no. society or church. Or, it turns out we're um, half the population, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't think that God created me for that. Yeah. Maybe that's crazy to say, but I don't. Yeah. I, I don't think that um, God created half the people um, to not do anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we'll get in a little more to yeah. to some of that conversation about gender roles. But yeah, it, it really does kind of put 
men in a position of strength, influence, decision-making power um, to the exclusion of women. And I think one of the things that we have to name as we get into this is this is a conversation that has caused a lot of deep hurt yeah. um, for both men, but specifically for women. Um, and even when you look through the last few years of like church too, and how a number of, of very prominent um, pastors, men, have set aside situations of abuse, have covered up. Um, situations of children who were abused or women who were mistreated and abused. Um, when women are not a part of those decisions or those conversations, um, often the argument is that patriarchy protects women. But what we've seen over the last few years is, is kind of the opposite result of that. The more women are excluded from some of these spaces, uh, oftentimes the more harm and the less protection they have. And so, um, yeah, conversation with deep hurt, lots of complexity, but... When I would say, like, growing up in the church, that I I don't know any woman that, like, hasn't bumped into this. Mm. Um, you know, and I would say that each one of us probably has a pretty emotional story to, like, bring to mm. that. You know, whether it's we've been told that we, like, couldn't lead something or couldn't participate in something or that our opinion didn't matter. Mm. Um, and I... I think that that is what is is hard is that if if all of the people that are making the decision have never run into that, but you just don't know, like you just yeah. don't know how much hurt there can be there. Um, so I would just say that even you know growing up in the church in the two thousands, that real like I bumped it up into this all the yeah, time, sure. um, and was told that I couldn't um, that I couldn't lead um, in youth group, that I had to um, kind of be a second in that way, or even that I voiced that I wanted to be a youth pastor growing up, and my youth pastor kind of said, oh, well, that's cute, but like mm-hmm. that's not, um, that's not something that you can, mm-hmm. you can do. You can be an admin, um, but that's Oof. not, right? That's mean-spirited. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that that, just being told that you can't lean into those, what feel like God-given gifts, um, mm-hmm is a, a bummer. I don't yeah. that really downplays it, but yeah, um, I was just said it's probably putting it mildly. Yeah, like right. It's mm-hmm. deeply hurtful. It, it's yeah. saying something mm-hmm. about who you are as a person that you're incapable or, or unable or uncalled for certain things specifically mm-hmm. because of your, your gender. Mm-hmm. And, and I would add a little, I mean, not only are the wounds deeply personal for, for you and for women as individuals, but it's also deeply hurtful to the church yeah. Yeah. because the church misses out yeah, on absolutely. the use of those gifts, the use of those uh, skills, experiences. Um, it's a loss all around. You know? yeah. Well, I think that's something that we miss is that, and, and I, I know that we'll talk about it, but just that patriarchy isn't just hurtful to women. I yes. mean, it's hurtful to everyone. Yeah. And I think so often, um, it's put in the strips like, oh, poor women, like we, you know, we'll, that men still have the power, but we'll like try to lift them up a little bit. In reality, like we're all missing out. Um, and I think that that's something that's really important to, to know is that um, we are not in as good a place. We are not in uh, what God has called us to be because we've created these hierarchies that are not his intention. Yeah. Well said. And anytime you create a hierarchy, there's always a loser. There's yeah. always yeah. a bottom of the pyramid that has to elevate the top. And so to that point, um, uh, what we'll see a lot in our conversation today, hopefully, is that the, the Bible does a lot, Jesus does a lot to try to, to kind of level the playing mm-hmm. field for people and do away with some of those things. But anytime you build a, a institution or a society or or a system based on the elevation of some to the exclusion of others, then there's there's harm all the way around. And so, um, yeah, I, I think the church, 
what we hope to do today is maybe bring some some healing and honesty about ways that the church has uh, kind of lifted up and supported this view and fallen into this trap because there's a lot of ways that we've kind of just gone along with culture as opposed to being a, an alternative to culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like when I think of it, I, I think of like gender roles and how yeah. uh, as a society, each culture has different definitions of gender roles, but in America specifically, there's often this expectation that, that men are in charge or that they work out of the home. They're the provider, the protector. Women are the ones who stay at home. Um, that there has to be this, this difference between authority and influence and decision-making. Um, one story that comes to mind there was a, another pastor a few years ago who a, a woman wrote in and asked if she could be a, a police officer. She felt called to this as a ministry and wanted to be a police officer and was asking um, from a perspective of, is that okay biblically for me to have influence or power or authority over men in that role? And this uh, particular pastor, won't name him, but he basically said, and his conviction was that to the degree a woman has direct influence over a man, um, the more likely it is to uh, to harm a man's God-given sense of of manhood and to violate God's created order. And so his solution was, well, maybe you could be a civil engineer in direct traffic because you still have influence, but it's indirect. But he couldn't <laughs> stop a man, pull him over, and give him a ticket because that might harm his... Um, uh, yeah, his manhood, manhood quote unquote. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is the, one of the ways that, that that argument goes so far beyond anything you see in scripture and is so specific and so precise. He even tries to make the point that it's not that it's an imprecise <laughs> argument, but it, it's so specific. It goes beyond anything that we see in Scripture, and and that's where you start stepping into this cultural gender roles and how we've adopted that into the church and actually used Scripture to, to reinforce those cultural biases. I've actually seen it, Paul, right around Waterstone, in, in, mm. especially in situations where... Um, the woman, the wife, has a job, a good-paying job, yeah. and is the main breadwinner. Yeah. And the, to raise children, the husband decides to stay home. And it's been, like, cringingly painful at times for women, for a woman to say, yeah, I'm I'm the, the breadwinner, I'm not yeah. at home with the, the children, and there's shame wrapped around yeah. that. And then for the, the man as well to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home dad, mm-hmm. but I don't hardly tell anyone that unless right. they ask me to. I mean, there's just, we've built this this um, shame-based kind of um, expectations on the rules. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when Steffi and I moved out to Denver to go to seminary, we went to the orientation day. And so Steffi's first day, she actually, um, we moved out here so she could go to grad school. And so all of the new students went into one room where it was orientation welcoming them in. And then all the spouses went into another room. But Steffi went into the students. I went into the spouses. And she was like one of the only women. I was one of the only <laughs> men. And people actually said to us, like, I think you're in the wrong spot. I think you guys oh, went to the no. wrong place. And someone said to Steffi, um, um, I think you're in the wrong place. She said, no, I'm, I'm a student. I'm going to go here. She said, oh, I thought you were married. And she said, I am. And she said, how are you going to school before your husband? How'd you pull oh, that oh off? Oh, my gosh. And this, this was, was at a public university, right? Oh, well, this was at Denver Seminary. Oh, oh. Yeah. And so just this idea that, um, yeah, that, that why would the woman ever get a master's degree before her husband is wow. outpace him in letters? It was the whole deal. Um yeah, and so so again, that that's kind of that shame that you're talking yeah. about. That 
did not feel great to either one of us yeah. that I was somehow looked at as less than because I wasn't going in to school and, and all that. But I'm, Alyssa, I don't know if you have anything to, to add. Or... Well, I think to your point of them saying like, oh, but you're married, then I think that that's another piece that patriarchy mm-hmm. does not create any yeah. paradigm for single people. Right. So it's that mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, you're, you know, as a man, you have to provide and all these things. And as a woman, like you need to stay home support, and take care of baby. Help. Yeah, support. And so what happens if the man doesn't, have anyone to provide for or um the the woman doesn't get married and so all of a sudden there's these weird spaces that it's i I mean i remember hearing somewhere about like elders that it's almost like weird to have a single elder so it's like oh like something's wrong with you that you Mm -hmm. haven't like completed your full um god-given mission to like be fruitful and multiply and it's like wait a minute like someone can be so godly and um Christ-centered and be single, but we just don't create the space Paul for that. Paul even says that they're probably a better follower. Yeah, it turns out. <laughs> and Paul and Jesus were single dudes. <laughs> yes, and they were. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And that, so I think that's a great point. There's there's very little um, room for singleness in, in kind of this conversation. The other thing is that we often adopt a cultural view of what it means to be male and female. Yeah. So masculinity and femininity. Um, femininity that's a hard one yeah that's a hard one I'm gonna have to to work on that Um, but you know there's kind of the we we fall into these stereotypes of Mm -hmm. what it means to be male or what it means to be female and then if you don't fall into the blue category or the pink category Mm -hmm. you feel like you don't fit anywhere Um, but that's just a cultural uh, paradigm and we're not saying that gender doesn't matter but when we use cultural paradigms to influence or dictate what those things are um, it creates a lot of confusion for a lot of people and so you can feel shame if you don't shoot guns and chew tobacco or something if you're a man or yeah one i would say that um it is naive to think that the church has not contributed to like the gender confusion that is happening right Right. now and i think so often it's because so many people were raised in the church it's like well you have to be this or you have to be this right and there's in the secular culture that's like well there's this different way if you don't feel like you're one of these Mm -hmm. two things you can be more ambiguous. Um, But it's because we've created such strict, like stringent boundaries for people. And then we're upset when they don't meet that and want to like find another way. Yeah, Yeah, totally. I know that often comes up in the church at like men's and women's retreat. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And like the men's retreat activity is like hiking, shooting, fishing, like wrestling. And then the women's retreat is like crafts and like, Maybe I want to wrestle. <laughs> yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Stephanie always mentions, she's like, what if I wanted to go, like, for a hike? Um, right. So, anyways, yeah. yeah, it can be kind of challenging um, when we just reinforce those those stereotypes. Yep. yep. I, I, you mentioned ministry. I have felt that. But, oh, for me, like, I like sports and certain things, but I've, I've never been, like, Mr. Home Project guy yeah, and all this. And so sure. sometimes you get in conversations and... Over the years, I've just sometimes in those conversations called myself, I'm just Jacob. I have soft skin. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But that that feeds right into it, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Is that that like, um, what does it mean? Like, is it the like 007 suave, like womanizer? Or is it the John Wayne cowboy? Or is it the like workman who can like, you know, drink a beer and watch NASCAR and fix up his car? Then, but you look throughout history and like, men have also like written Handel's Messiah, like Romeo and Juliet. And in our culture, we've kind of lost touch with some of those things. So if you enjoy art or reading or, or symphonies, then it's actually like a place of shame and similar with women. Ostracized. Yeah. You can be ostracized and women. Like I think in many ways, those cultural stereotypes are so much worse. Like, Mm -hmm. are you supposed to have be a, 
a person who has it all together and a businesswoman who like has a little bit of makeup but not too much mm-hmm. but like also makes sure your kids are always ready for school on time and everything is taken care of at the home but then uh, are you supposed to be like an outdoorsy woman with like no makeup granola or are you supposed to be just a stay-at-home mom who like make sure her husband has a sack lunch every- like that there's just so many yeah. paradigms and expectations and we can feel like if we don't fit into those that we just have no place mm-hmm. or we feel less than or end up like being enslaved to these stereotypes and um I think one of the things scripture does as we get into this is tries to free us from some of yes. those so that we don't have to be oppressed, not just by the system of patriarchy, but also the expectations that it places on people around that. Mm-hmm. When I would just say that I think <clears throat> I have a, it, it's come later in life, but I just think that the kingdom of God is where someone, everyone can belong. Mm-hmm. And so if there are pieces of Christianity that are telling you that you can't belong, that is not from God, you know, that it all of a sudden it's like, oh, I, I, I shouldn't go here. I shouldn't fit here. That means that that is not from Jesus. Like he wants everyone in this building. He wants everyone here. He wants um, us all to be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-gender, I don't know, to a two gen- like community. And if and if anyone's feeling pressure to to not be in that, it's it's not from him. Yeah, Place in the body, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, which I think is, is maybe where we can jump to now is that the good news is in many ways is that the Bible actually deconstructs patriarchy for us. Yes, so, you don't have to work too hard. Yeah, yeah. you don't. Like even from the very beginning, if you start in Genesis uh, and you look at the, well, first you can look at uh, men and women created in the image of right. God explicitly. Right. Very first thing it says about the genders is that they're both created equal. The yep. created in the image of God is the the argument for the abolition of slavery, for the elevation of women, and, and it from the very beginning says men and women are equal, which is incredibly radical for the time that it was written. But even mm-hmm. if you look at modern culture and society, and and like at, we're maybe a little more advanced in America, but like positions like the Middle East, there's no yeah. expectation that women are are equal. So the right. fact that thousands of years ago the scripture started with this view mm-hmm. of men and women. And then the th- second thing I think it starts with is that patriarchy is a result of the curse. Yes. And when you start talking about um, women vying for for um, authority and that they won't have it, that, that that's actually not God's ideal. Right. That's a result of the fall and mm-hmm. the world being broken and the systems of patriarchy coming into place. So, I have heard that... Um, that the man is the head or better because Adam was created first. Mm -hmm. And I know that in Genesis 1 that they're created at the same time, but then, you know, Genesis 2 is more detail. Um, So that's why, like, men are better. Have you all heard that? Or is there any... um, That men are better because they came first. Yeah, and then women came from the side. So they're just like a little little nugget, a little part of Adam, (laughs) but not as good as Adam. Well, if you go to that argument, men were created from dust, so that's <laughs> better. Yeah. But um, have you heard, that, like, is there any biblical stance on that? Is there any reason that that should be true? Larry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's ghost. Well, Larry doesn't. The, 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 one, the one place, I mean, you almost quoted Paul verbatim in uh, 1 Timothy 2 um, when he says, that, you know, that women, um, what is it? Is that the one about not praying? Pre, um I'm not I sure to be honest, my, actually. My scripture, yeah. yeah. Um, but he, he says that the reason was that Adam was created first and mm-hmm. then Eve. So, um, but I don't think what Paul is doing in that particular statement is making a value judgment. 
on men and women mm-hmm. yeah. and their worth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing that I think often comes out of Genesis 3 is that I've just heard it so many times, and maybe this is kind of what you're getting at too, is that the, the fall was Eve's fault. Yeah. Um, right. It was kind of like in a, in a patriarchal mindset yeah. that's where it's attributed to, but um, Scripture always blames Adam and says that it was it was on him. And so, again, right. not necessarily a value statement, but you can just see the ways that we sometimes skew passages in Scripture to mean yeah. certain things that, that aren't necessarily um, there. But just to, again, to make the point that Scripture starts by saying men and women are equal, equal value, equal worth, um, it's very subversive and radical and, and a freeing idea for Scripture to start in that place um, that they were both made to reflect God's image um, in, in unique ways based on their gender. Uh, and, and then I think it just kind of goes on from there. The Old Testament subverts uh, and deconstructs patriarchy a number of different ways. Um, so one is, uh, Larry, I know you've talked before about the subversion of um, primogeniture. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? Do you, mind explaining so. a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Do you mind explaining a little bit about yeah, what that pr- is? Primogeniture was uh, very common in the ancient world, and it was the really the economic system. Uh, and how it worked was that the firstborn son in every family would inherit everything, all the money, all the land, all the power. And that was in one sense helpful in that keeping your land and power consolidated as one rather than dividing it all up. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense, you could it would help families hold on to wealth. Mm-hmm. But what began to happen, and this is why scholars see some of the seedbed of slavery implanted in that system, is that one person was the king of the family. Yeah. I mean, it had total and complete control mm-hmm. over it. And so what's interesting in Genesis is, uh, and by the way, you can read more about this in, in Robert Alder's great book um, uh, on the biblical narrative. Um, but he, he says that uh, at every turn, Je- the book of Genesis is subverting that by elevating the younger yeah. over mm-hmm. the uh, younger over the older, yeah. and so uh, it's leveling the ground. It's mm-hmm. it's it's destroying kind of that power hold yeah. that one person would have on a family. Yeah, absolutely. One yeah. well, of you haven't heard it with that, but um, God's call to Abraham that He tells him to go away from his family to let that all go. Mm-hmm. That that was a really a big ask for the firstborn in the family mm-hmm. um, that God is saying, I understand that you have all the security and all this responsibility, um, but I'm telling you to leave that behind and, and go where I'm calling yeah, you to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and leaving that security and, and it's a, a subversion. And you see it. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say one other place you see it, Paul, and I don't know if this is where you went next was in polygamy Yeah. and how the book of Genesis really subverts the institution yeah, of polygamy, absolutely. which in, in that system, women are treated like right. property. Yeah. And basically, just to have children, yeah. that was the value of a woman in that yep. system. And at every turn, Genesis is subverting that by really portraying, here's, if you want to have multiple wives and build your family system on that, here's what it looks like. Yeah. And it's heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak, yeah. devastating families. And so Genesis subverts it by telling the truth yep. about it and portraying it. Yeah, and especially even how in this patriarchal system women were treated at yep. the time. And, and again and again saying that the people who treated women this way, God saw. Like I yep. think of Hagar yeah. and, yeah. and God's and, scene. Uh, how you preached on Judah and Tamar yeah, so, uh, yep. earlier in the spring. Yeah, yeah, when when women are mistreated, God sees, yeah. hears, intervenes for their protection um, in a society and system where they had none, yeah. and were really at yeah. the the whims of the character of the men in yeah. their lives. Yeah. And so when they went off track, yeah. 
God shows up and says, like, I see this. You I can't do this. And calls the men to account. Yeah. And to yep. step up and do yep. what's right. You know? Yeah. So so you see that subversion. You, you can see that um, throughout the Old Testament in different ways. Even, like, I think of, like, David being chosen as king mm-hmm. over Israel, yeah. the youngest born son, or, or the way that even women are elevated to positions of leadership, like Deborah and Judges. Yeah. Um, it's often said in, in kind of a patriarchal mindset that the reason Deborah was chosen because there was no men who were available. But if you actually dive into the true. Hebrew, it's not yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, you dive into the Hebrew there. Even that word is always that they use to describe her as a word of celebration. That she actually stepped forward in and as a woman of valor and honor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and that Barak is also celebrated later. So yes. even though he, you know, went to her and said like, "I don't want to go without you," it's way more about the fact that it's like, "Oh wow, God seems to be with you. Like you're my lucky charm. Like you come with me <laughs> right, and do right, this right. thing." Yeah. And that it's not that he's some weak man. No. That he's actually a strong. A strong man, um, yes. and that he is later celebrated often in the in the Old Testament. Yep. So yep. that both of those people are yep. are celebrated for their roles, even yep. if it seems different yep. um, than the gender roles that we often know. Yeah. You're, you're right, Alyssa. And before before the military action in those chapters, Deborah was already an esteemed judge, yeah, and held that position, yep. which yep. again was quite radical. Yeah, in absolutely. Yep. And so you can see throughout the Old Testament, there's there's kind of this trajectory. They're they're dealing mm. with the patriarchal system. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this trajectory in scripture of elevation of women, empowering more freedoms, more protections. And you look at the culture around them, the laws that are in place for them are very, very different. Then there's even laws about like if a woman is assaulted um, and no one's there to hear her believe what happened to her. And, and so um, very radical, even for some of what happens today. Um, one thing that before we get away from yeah. um, Deborah is that I think this is one of the ways that the church continues to push patriarchy mm. because this would be the story of Deborah being a judge and a, a military leader would be a wonderful story to like tell our young girls mm. in, I mean, in all of these like children's Bibles, but I've never seen one uh, that talks about that. Like true. there, there are not, I'm, there are not children's Bibles that talk about Ruth. There are not children's Bibles that talk mm. about Deborah. There I mean, some occasionally we talk about Esther, but we don't actually tell the full true sure, story of how amazing that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that is just another way that we so often push patriarchy is that all of the stories that we're telling the, ch- the children in the church are just about these men that have pushed forward. Yeah. Um, and that it's like, oh, well, they can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unfortunate that then you have to dive in and see as an adult. Or later on, like, oh wow, there are cool, there are cool ladies in yeah, here that are doing cool yeah, things. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. Well said. And I think you, um, there's probably a, a number of other yeah. stories we could look at and, yep. and, and for this conversation. But for the sake of time, moving kind of into the New Testament, um, Jesus, we see yeah. him come onto the scene. And we see uh, many stories in the gospel of Jesus and God um, subverting this idea of patriarchy. So you see Jesus have women disciples, which mm-hmm. is something that was very uncommon yeah. um, in that, that day and age. Um, you have stories like Jesus and the woman at the well, where he's meeting alone with her. I've heard it joked about that Jesus forgot to uh, follow the Billy Graham rule there, yeah. which is the a kind of patriarch rule. We don't need to get into it. But, uh, <laughs> and, Google it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> But Jesus meets with this woman, uh, has a theological conversation with her. Um, people are shocked and awed that he would actually even be speaking to her. And then yeah. she's elevated as a person who saves her entire village yeah. um, with the pronouncement of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the woman caught in adultery mm-hmm. that um, 
very patriarchal system, woman and man caught in adultery, both were supposed to be um, punished and stoned for that. But for some reason, the man is not brought before Jesus. It's just the woman. And then uh, you see Jesus push back against this and say, if you are without sin, then feel free to. But none of you are. And, and um, I've, I've heard it said that in that subversion of, of that instance and the way that Jesus is kind of pushing back against some of the... Um, that he, he's pushing back against the misinterpretation of those laws, that it's about punishment, when actually a lot of the, the laws about adultery were a protection against women in a society of patriarchy, where if um, they could just be set aside because they didn't please their husbands in the right way and that kind of thing. So see a number of different things. I've heard it said that Jesus uh, was the first feminist. If you look at the way he treated women, spoke to women, interacted with women, it was just millennia ahead Mm -hmm. of its time. Yeah. And if I could push on that too, because I think it's so radical. I mean, I think it starts around Jesus' birth with the two women who prophesied over Jesus. uh, uh, Elizabeth and Mary, his mother. Uh, But, uh, you know, Jesus used women uh, in his sermons Mm -hmm. a ton which would have been total radical rabbi uh, approach i mean he he lifts up in luke 15 there's you know well known for the prodigal son but we forget that before that it's the it's this lost coin and the women the women looking for it um luke 18 when he wants to hold up a woman um icon of prayer it's the older woman who keeps pounding on the judge's door yeah I think you see it in Luke 7 as well. He holds up women as moral examples, like the women mm-hmm. washing his hair. Mm-hmm. This is in a Pharisee's home. Yeah. Um, and as well as uh, in Luke 21, w- where the woman is putting her last two cents yeah. in, so to speak, the R. I mean, so it's it's subjects of his preaching. It's holding women up as moral ex- examples. Yeah. Totally stunning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, even the fact that... And I think it's Mary Magdalene is the one that anoints his feet. That all of a sudden that she, all of a sudden this person that, um, that Jesus has given a woman the role of being able to anoint the king. And that has never been true. Mm -hmm. And so that is even like uplifting women. Um, And just the fact that, I mean, Mary Magdalene is the first one to see him at. Um, that he's gone at the tomb and then to see him. The resurrection. resurrection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Which again, the, the, to that quote earlier about the gospel hanging on men, <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. His the gospel and the pr- pronouncement of his resurrection came to a woman first and yep. staked everything on her testimony, yep. which again was unheard of in that day. So you can yep. just see the way that that Jesus kind of pushes back against, elevates, empowers, um, and really tries to to kind of tear down the ways that that the system had had oppressed or mistreated or abused women and, mm-hmm. and present an alternative moving forward. Anything else we would add about that before we move on to some of the other New Testament stuff? I I just think that so often, as I've done all this research and reading, is that whatever perspective you bring to the Bible, you Mm, will see that come out. And so I think it's so important um, when you're approaching the Bible to... To pray to to let that culture go yeah. and to really see the truth that is coming out because I think especially in the pieces that we're going to talk about with the early church that yeah. if you adhere to like patriarchy or want to see that then you'll then you'll you see it, it. exactly <clears throat> but I would say that it um, that if you can kind of take those lenses away to see what the messages are as opposed to the culture that you're coming from like you will see truth and so I would say that that is our um, 
your homework or the, your, <laughs> what you should really be doing, your yeah, our assignment, right. if you will, yeah. um, in reading yeah. the scriptures. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because then you can see the early church kind of build off of this foundation that Jesus sets in the, the New Testament where, you know, Paul comes on the scene and he writes this radical statement about there being neither male nor female uh, because of the power of the gospel. And, and many historians would actually make the argument that Paul in this moment is one of the first authors to actually make the argument that mm-hmm. men and women are created equal. Mm-hmm. If you look at Plato and Aristotle and many of the like Greek philosophers of the day, they are not making those kinds of arguments they are have a very very low view of women um and very misogynistic and so paul is is kind of making this statement that because of the cross and what jesus has done um hierarchy is is kind of demolished and and broken apart um because men and women are 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 created equal um there's a number of other places and i thought it might be kind of interesting so like we see women apostles we see women deacons we see women preachers larry i know you've talked about phoebe right. phoebe who was the first first to read the book of romans yeah and, church. and in that time if you were reading the the book or the letter to if you, the church if you delivered it you were the reader yeah like, and yeah. the the authority to mm-hmm. interpret and yes. answer questions yeah. and, and teach and yes um yeah and so we see different roles women were playing in the early church they were pretty uncommon at that time there are a number of of kind of like hard passages i think mm-hmm. that it'd be worth like just talking about a little bit because i think oftentimes the church is known for one view um and sometimes there's a little bit more nuance going on um so like one instance would be uh there's a, a passage where paul talks about um women in the church being silent and they do not permit a, a woman to speak um what would you guys maybe say about that and larry, larry maybe i'll start with you a little bit or Lisa, you want to jump in yeah, yeah, you got, yeah it. I do. <laughs> got it in front of me <laughs> um so do not be silent <laughs> yeah. no, i know right what the heck paul Dang it. <laughs> get that oh, patriarchy man. out of here um so lighthearted. That's right? Yeah. It's funny. Patriarchy's funny. Um, so one of the, uh, in um, Beth Allison Barr's book, The Making of yeah, Biblical the Womanhood, and I assume that this is in other books too, but um, specifically this passage, her argument is that um, Paul is kind of quoting more what the standard of the day is. And then all of a sudden you see the passage flip Um and you get his response to that. So I think this is just another reason of like, don't just read one verse out of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, read it in his context. Um, so I'd love, so this is First uh, yeah, Corinthians 14. Um, and I'll just start with uh, 34. Mm-hmm. So the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate as even the law says. If there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak. So I would argue that that is like in quotes. And then... Um, the next verse, it says, what? With an exclamation point. <laughs> what? Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Hmm. Um, so I would say that that is pulsing. Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is not as true. If any, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that what I am writing to is a command of the Lord. So that is not what Paul is saying. That He's saying that... Um, Everyone is able to prophesy and is not forbidden to speak mm-hmm. in tongues. Um, is that how, what... Larry, is that what you well, have also I, I, heard no, is that is. interpretation it of is. this passage? I think they're in the Corinth, and I argue in, in Ephesus, which is what Paul addresses in 1 Timothy, mm-hmm. that there was excesses in the church that were going on that were actually doing two things. One was just uh, if an outsider came in and they would see that it was primarily women 
who were doing the bulk of the preaching, speaking in tongues and all that, it would be very off-putting mm. and not winsome uh, to that because it's so drastic from uh, their culture. And then two, um, I think Paul promoting, because he said earlier in 1 Corinthians 11 that both women and men should pray and prophesy. Mm-hmm. And it's that whole thing about head coverings, which we won't get into either. That you know, when, when But he says, when a woman prays and prophesies, her head should be covered mm-hmm. and men's head shouldn't be covered. Um, but the point being that he's encouraging women to pray and prophesy. Mm-hmm. And prophesy, typically, it's not just telling the future, it's preaching. It's right. forth telling God's word. So uh, I think, yeah. So I think Paul is pushing, therefore, both women and men to be using their gifts in the church. Uh, But if it's only one gender that's doing it, that's out of balance Mm -hmm. and off-putting and not winsome Mm -hmm. uh, to the culture. Yeah, and then kind of making the argument that we we need each other for the full expression. And that to that point too, anytime you see Paul list the spiritual gifts, there's never a a gender attached to those. It's mm-hmm. it's never gender specific. It's always inclusive of men and women in the church and, and really leveling the playing field of saying the Holy Spirit empowers all of us who are mm-hmm. believers, uh, male or female, to mm-hmm. proclaim the good news in, in the different ways that we've been equipped. So yep. um, anything else you would add to that, Alyssa? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I would say that that's kind of, um, the main passage that I think is used, uh, for women um, to not be present in the in the church yeah. um, or to not speak in the church, mm-hmm. um, are there any other passages that you want to talk about? No, I think that that's primarily the the one that most people go to. I think mm-hmm. that one of the other places you often see people go is to some of the passages about headship or authority, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and that is a place where the veiling comes in mm-hmm. um, to play in, in some of that conversation. Um, but I, I think even a lot of those passages, Cynthia Westfall, she has this mm-hmm. great book called Paul and Gender. I, if yeah. anyone has more questions about this, I would love to see you read that book because it, it's very insightful. Um, but she talks about how in that culture... Um, women unveiling was a, a sign of, um, I guess you could say, sexual opportunity or mm-hmm. proposition. And her argument is that if you look at the different stories throughout Scripture, oftentimes when women are unveiled, it's it's men um, asking them or pushing mm-hmm. them to do that. And so um, really it, it would be like in today if, if men were saying like, hey, it's okay if you wear something a little more revealing I, in church. I like that. And Ew. Paul, yeah, and Paul's saying like, stop that. No, <laughs> like, right. That's it's not crazy. Crazy. like, yeah, yeah, what are we gross. talking about here? Yeah. That's not the posture that we have within um, church and within worship and within our community. And, and you need to respect women's boundaries that they're placing on that. Um, mm-hmm. They're not just for your enjoyment. So again, you can see the ways that, that it could be seen to say that, you know, women need to veil and cover because they don't have the, the right level of authority. But if you look culturally, you can see some more nuance to the argument of, of what's taking place. Um, and I think one of the heights of that, I mentioned earlier the um, neither male nor female. Paul's not saying that gender is not important, but that um, it's kind of leveling the playing field. The other place you see that is a pushback against patriarchy is when he continually says that we're all sons and firstborn sons specifically and heirs. If you think about inheritance and patriarchy, Larry talked about this, but it was always the firstborn. It was very dependent on a male line. And Paul's saying in Jesus Christ, all of us are the firstborn heirs of God's blessings and God's goodness in the gospel. And so again, subversion of patriarchy and kind of removing, um, some of those statements that would, would make women 
feel potentially like second class citizens. Mm-hmm. So. I would just argue uh, the the bigger picture on this in terms of in t- understanding scripture and especially the New Testament is the importance we talk a lot about at Waterstone of the first goal of understanding scripture is uh, original author. Yes. writing to the original audience yeah. and as, as best we can we have to start there and get there mm-hmm. uh, to try and understand what was going on in the church of corinth and the church of yeah. Ephesus, those sorts of things and why paul's writing the way what we tend to do is start in the 21st century and read back into it right when it needs to be uh, spending more time understanding what it meant first yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think maybe a, a place for us to, to kind of wrap up some of this conversation is that I think one of the our goals in this is, is one, hopefully to, to maybe present a counter-argument um, that, that people have heard in the church, because I do think this has been a deeply uh, hurtful conversation mm-hmm. in so many churches, women feeling second class, or that like God might even love them less, or um, different ways that, that may be. And so presenting maybe a, a counter-cultural or alternative for what uh, this could look like in the church and in our relationships and how men and women could treat each other. I think one thing that I would say as we get into this is that I, I think there, and maybe I'm the wrong person to say, but I think a lot of people feel a lot of anger over this mm-hmm. because of the hurt that they've um, experienced. And I would absolutely validate that anger is just at the ways that people have been uh, mistreated i would caution um sometimes that anger i think can turn into hatred um or or maybe bitterness and again understandable but i think the hope that we have is that jesus always moves people in love to love other people and so if you're in a place where you're you're deconstructing or working through some of these issues my um heart desires a, a pastor would be say please like stay in the church yeah. and, and stay in a safe church stay in a church where you can be heard and you can contribute but we need these voices to to speak up and to share their experiences we need Alyssa's to say like this is what it's like growing up in a, a church that told mm-hmm. me i couldn't be a leader um even though you've clearly been equipped in those ways and so we need those stories we need those people um in our churches to continue and and it does it has to be in a safe space not asking you to stay in a, a place that that's abusive or or oppressive but um yeah, would love to see people engage with the church and help lead us in those spaces. So. That's well said. Yeah. I totally agree with that and affirm that, Paul. And want Waterstone to be one of those yeah, safe absolutely. places where, yep. and that we're growing. Yeah. I mean, we, we just uh, began having women elders six, seven years ago. And uh, uh, I just, we've grown a ton and uh, want to keep growing. Yeah, yeah, so still have room to grow. Yes. A couple of things then maybe for for what this could look like uh, moving forward or a couple maybe um, like application points or pieces that could help give some guidance uh, for us. One, I think anytime this conversation comes up, we have to go back to what we talked about at the beginning, that men and women are created equal. Scripture reiterates that over and over and over again from its very first pages to to its very last pages. Um, But it also uh, doesn't say gender doesn't matter or that our male and female... um, this is not important. Um, there is a uniqueness about those things. What's interesting is as I've thought about this podcast, it's really hard to figure out what is equal but unique without uh, kind of reverting back to stereotypes, <laughs> right? Like 
Um, Developing your list. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, it, and it's not necessarily even helpful um, for a list. And I think we find ourselves in this moment where we're caught in kind of these cross currents between one side of culture saying there's no difference between the genders, there's no importance to, to gender. Uh, we need to kind of erase gender, emasculate men, and erase feminine side of women. Um, but then there's this pressure from the other side just as strong to, to say that if you are a man or woman, you have to fit into these stereotypes and be uh, these kind of people. We've mentioned a few of those before, but I think our heart would be to, to see men and women treated um, as equal um, and have the space to express uniquely the ways that God has gifted them um, to serve the church and serve uh, the community. But, but I think that has to be a starting place for any of this conversation is equal, both created in the image of God um, and, and the church is the place they're given the freedom to uniquely express their gifting. Anything you all would add to that as an application point? Um. <clears throat> Maybe this is a little bit tangential, but as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the Enneagram, hmm. which if anyone is not, it was like cool like four years ago. I don't know if it's still <laughs> cool now, uh, but essentially there's, it's this personality quiz and um, you get divided into nine numbers and they each kind of mean something different about you. Right. And I would say that um, I know, I think both a man and a woman in each of those numbers. Mm. And I would say that I think that they each kind of approach it differently just based off of gender, but like... Eight, if you guys are familiar, is kind mm. of more of like a domineering, like um, really challenger, justice challenger, justice, like justice yeah. focused. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes we think of that being um, like a male, je- like stereotype. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we so often, but I know several women that mm-hmm. are eights, yeah. and I would feel so sad if they didn't feel like they could fight yeah, for justice absolutely. and have a voice and be a challenger. And even though they might do it differently because they're a woman, I'm um, just because of the way that you present to the world, like that does not mean that those things aren't true. And so I think that it's, um, gender is a a piece of who you are, but it's not all of the pieces and God gives us each gifts and, um, each talents. And I think it's so important to tap into those maybe first, as opposed to like, okay, why I'm, I'm, you know, have two X chromosomes or an X and a Y. And so therefore I need to live my life this way. Um, that, that, that's too simple, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good word. And it, oftentimes, if you think about it, like those attributes you just described in a man that can be seen as positives yeah. and like, oh, that you want a man oh, to be right. aggressive or right. lifted up or... or but then yeah. it can be seen as a detriment yeah. in a woman of, oh, she's just an angry woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, and so you can see that. even within that that... The church has to be a place that recognizes those gift sets mm-hmm. apart from the gender stereotype. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was even thinking about the way that, that those roles play out and how we, we interact in those spaces, it, it makes me think of um, this idea of, of uh, the, uh, like marriage roles is often what scripture is speaking to and so maybe we could speak to that just yeah. for a, a moment but you often see um, kind of the the patriarchal argument that it's men's job to lead and it's women's job to support the leadership and elevate and, and kind of boost them in leadership but uh, to you I think Larry you've made this point you actually don't see that language in the New Testament for men to lead yeah right. of men um, to lead you you maybe see some places where it says the the husband is the authority over the wife right. um, and things but even there the call and that is always not leadership but love yep. and submission yep. um, Paul makes his radical statement in Ephesians about uh, both men and women mutually submit to one another in marriage which is a radical statement yep. in a time when women were 
predominantly seen as property in baby makers. And so for him to say that actually uh, the call of man is to follow the way of Jesus and, and leadership is in any kind of sense is actually just giving your life away for the good of another yes. is a very drastic and different way. And, and what I would say is if you're one of the people who maybe have thought about this in the way of, of leadership it, and, and men are supposed to be in leadership... The paradigm we see in Jesus is that anytime we desire power or leadership for the sake of those things, we're actually not following the way of Jesus. And so if you think that that's the right order of things, you actually might be going against the grain of Jesus' call on our life. And so, um, yeah, we've just got to be really careful about how we nuance in that. Well, as you were talking about, Larry, pastorally, like how would you speak into those marriages that are maybe feeling some tension with kind of those roles that yeah. I can imagine if there is this hierarchy mm-hmm. um, and the wife is doing like, wait a minute, like, I don't know if this is where I want to be for, I have these gifts, you know, I have these talents, what can I do? Um, or maybe vice versa, that there's some sort of hierarchy in marriage that they're feeling like maybe doesn't need to be there. Yeah. Like, how would you speak into that? Well, two thoughts. One is I do think part of understanding how marriage works is understanding the gospel. Mm. I've never gotten over a quote. I actually brought it with me from um, Rebecca McLaughlin, her book, uh, Confronting Christianity. Mm. She has this great chapter on patriarchy. And she, she says that if the message of Jesus is true, no one comes to the table with rights mm. in a marriage. Uh, the only way to enter is to fall flat in your face, male or female. If we grasp at our right to self-determination, we must reject Jesus because he calls us to submit to him mm. completely. And while Christians are certainly called to sacrifice in response to Christ, we are primarily called to accept his sacrifice for us. With this lens in place, Rebecca McLaughlin says, I saw God created sex and marriage as a telescope to give us a glimpse of his star-sized desire for intimacy with us. And she goes on to talk about how even in, in marriage, it's designed to be a picture of Jesus. And that's what Paul's mm. point is in Ephesians right. 5. But anyhow, her point is that you know, whatever the the role of men is in, in marriage, it's it's love, which is self-sacrifice. And it's the same for women. So I think we start there mm-hmm. with the sense that you don't have, just because you're a man, you don't have certain rights in this mm-hmm. relationship just because you're a woman, you don't have certain rights. This, everything's on the table yeah. and put down. Mm-hmm. And so I think... The, Starting with the gospel, what that does, secondly, then, is give room to say, oh, and this is how Jan and I have done it, and we've counseled other younger couples starting out this way. I think it's not really about what your rights are because of your gender, because we don't have those. It's really about what are you good at? Mm-hmm. It gets to mm-hmm. skills and gifts and passions. I mean, what do you want to do in this marriage? What that? I mean, are you good at finances? Yeah. Here, here you go. And, uh, you know, Jan and I have over many years negotiated all those things out. And um, I was joking earlier, we don't we don't really have tension over those roles anymore. <laughs> but it's, it's not true. But it, let's just say we have a lot less tension yeah, around sure. it because you figure out what you're good at. And it seems to me that should drive more. Um, and I don't know if that answers your question. Kind of it does, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And I think it's important too. Anytime you come to scripture and it talks about men and women's roles, it one it, it doesn't ever say anything about their roles in in culture. So it right. never says that like a woman could or couldn't be president, or men should be CEOs of companies. It doesn't give any kind of it. The direction it maybe gives is in within the context of a marriage relationship, yeah. and so oftentimes 
patriarchy will expand teachings on marriage outward to all of society or to the church in ways that that aren't helpful or biblical. Um, But the second thing is that scripture, even when it does give uh, any sort of identity around marital roles, it's almost always from a 30,000 foot view. Mm -hmm. It's above culture. It's it's transcending cultural norms of the day and our day. Um, And so it it doesn't say anything about who's supposed to do finances or who's supposed to work or who's supposed to go to school first or... And I think it's so important for us that that um, if Scripture is vague on things, then we should re- or silent, mm-hmm. then we should really be care- careful and cautious about what we say. And, and I would even argue we should probably just shut up, right? Right. <laughs> like not not step into some. Because by and large, places. what you're probably doing is imposing culture. Exactly, your culture. you're imposing yeah. your cultural beliefs or mm-hmm. personality or traits or gifting and saying this is what should be true for all mm-hmm. people everywhere. Um, all the time. Uh, it's fascinating in the, the first kind of two commandments in Scripture, God tells both men and women to be fruitful and multiply, which is a, a command to family. And then he also uh, gives both men and women a call to subdue the yep, earth, which is a call right. to work. It's not the specific like, hey, men, you work and you subdue the earth right. and rule, and women, you go make the families. It's both are called to this this mission. And, um, and so... Outside of that, we, we've just it, there's a lot of freedom, and we've mm. got to be careful not to impose our cultural bias. Um, where the Bible's dogmatic, well, sure, so. be dogmatic. Where it's silent, let's be shut up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and it, maybe that's a place to wrap up. Is I, I think so much of the issues around this often come to cultural bias being placed on Scripture, mm. and then you see that when we do that, um, it actually leads to to places where people have less freedom, feel more oppressed, have less influence and less power. And I think what's fascinating is you see Jesus over and over again say in the Gospels, you heard it said, but I say to you. And in those moments, he's not subverting scripture, but in a way he is deconstructing people's interpretation and their their cultural bias of what they thought scripture was saying. And we have to be able and willing to do that as well to say, we have thought scripture has said this, um, actually, maybe Jesus was was coming with an entirely different message, mm-hmm. and so we've got to be very careful not to just allow uh, biases one side or the other around this conversation to influence and lead us um, in the conversation. Really try to get to the heart of of what these people are saying in their time, in their place, um, and then translate it to ours. I think I'm just continually reminded how important humility is in Christianity. Yeah. That it is. I feel like it's one of the first things that we should come with that it's like man maybe i've been doing this all wrong but i would rather be um true than right you know Mm -hmm. and so how do we humbly come to the things that maybe we've always believed and let the bible like shape us and change Mm -hmm. us in those ways yeah absolutely yeah humility is a good word i've always remembered john dixon's in humilitas he describes humility as holding your power and using your resources in service of others. Mm. And uh, that's, I totally agree. I think that's what's in play here. Yeah. Not only in terms of, you know, your marriage, your individual interactions, but I think church posture as a whole when it comes to yeah, gender absolutely. roles. And I think that's the example Jesus sets out for mm-hmm. us, which is what Paul is calling us to, what Jesus calls us to, is that self-sacrificial love that sets yeah. aside our power. And yeah. you see Jesus again and again and again have the ability or the opportunity to take power for himself, and mm-hmm. he pushes it away and rejects it yeah. um, and goes the way of self-sacrificial love. And so when you talk about patriarchy and, and systems and power, if that's not our posture, then there's a good chance we're not following the way of Jesus. 
And there's a good chance you'll be perpetually disappointed yeah. because they can't do <laughs> yeah, it for us. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. Yeah. Great conversation. Enjoyed uh, talking about this. Hope this is, again, helpful for people who are maybe struggling and deconstructing mm-hmm. with this and, and hopefully uh, healing, too. I think mm-hmm. that would be a, a hope because I do know there's a lot of hurt around this. Any last words? Um, thank you both for really um, coming to this conversation humbly. Um as I was thinking about this of um, egotistical men, you were the last two that I would think of. And so just leading um, servant leadership, I really appreciate that that is something that is so core to Waterstone um, and that anyone can come to the table and be listened um, to by both of you. So I just appreciate that and that we're able to have this conversation. So thank you. That means a lot of listening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully we can continue to grow and get better and help thanks for listening to the monday morning phone call podcast we hope that this show will spark conversation and that you'll share this episode with a friend you can join us on instagram at waterstone cc and facebook at waterstone church to continue the conversation and share your thoughts and opinions with us this podcast is hosted by me paul joslin and Alyssa frisbee we'll be back next monday with our next episode